You're listening to the First Fight Podcast, home of the people and stories behind the fight. I'm Jennifer Anderson, the host and creator. My goal is to give you a peek into the remarkable world of fighting and create a platform for fighters to tell their stories. In each episode of this series, a different fighter shares a transformative story of their first time. Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, I chat with one of the original gangsters of MMA, Dean Thomas. Dean is a man of many talents, a martial artist, a coach, a comedian, an actor, and a broadcaster. We talk about the early beginnings of MMA when he had his first fight, the old school mindset versus the new, and his thoughts on coaching and retirement. We had a great conversation, and I hope you all enjoy. On this episode, I have my friend Dean Thomas on. Thanks for coming on, Dean. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Dean is, you're one of the original interviews that I had, or you sent me your story years ago, and I lost it over time. And I wanted you back to do it again so you could be on the new podcast. Well, it was a long time ago, and the story was so old that it probably was forgotten about. <laughs> you know, like I it was... The, oh, the story was in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> so you're obviously, you know, one of the OGs in the game. You've been around for a while. You're still around coaching, doing, looking for a fight. You're staying in the mix no matter what. But why don't you share what got you into martial arts in the first place? Well, I, I got into martial arts really because I didn't want to get beat up in the street. You know, I was a small dude. So, um, and at the time, it was more for self-defense. And at that time, it wasn't like it is today. Like today, it's very sport-oriented, and every rule matters, and weight classes matter, and all that stuff. But when I got involved in MMA, it wasn't even called MMA at the time, but when I got involved, like all it was about was about, can you defend yourself if somebody's trying to beat you up? So... um so a way of testing ourselves during that time was to compete. That, that's why we competed, to see if what we were training actually worked. And I remember my very first, and it was in, obviously, Tampa, in some bar in Ybor City, which is a, a, a section of Tampa where there's, like, bars and nightclubs. And I had a fight there, and my original opponent who, was supposed to, who I was supposed to fight never showed up. Now, remember, there's no athletic commissions. There's, you know, it's a scumbag promoter and a bar. And they're putting on fights. So I remember showing up and my opponent didn't show up. And then another guy, his opponent didn't show up. So they were like, well, you two can fight. Meanwhile, this other guy who they wanted me to fight, he was a heavyweight. He weighed 225 pounds. I weighed 150 pounds. But again, this was a different time. This was a time where the game was about, can you defend yourself if somebody wants to beat you up? So when they said, do you two want to fight? I said, absolutely. I will fight this guy. So um, he turns out he was like a football player at Bethune-Cookman University. He did karate, 225 pounds. 
And here I am, 150 pounds, skin and bones, look like boiled chicken. And I said, yeah, man, let, I'll fight him. So I remember the moment it was, and I was like excited for the fight because like at that time, that's when like, you know, I'm used to watching Hoist Gracie fight these bigger guys. So I'm like, I can do this. So I remember getting into the ring and it was in a ring inside of a, a smoky bar. And one of my cornermen at the time, I see him run around the side right before they start announcing us. He runs around the side, walks up to the apron in the corner of the ring, and he says, man, I already benched 150 pounds. I looked at him. I said, man, why in the hell did you just tell me that? So now I'm in the ring. I can't turn back now. I'm like, man, I I got to do this now. I got to fight this guy. So I just put all that stuff out of my head. I said, all right, here we go. I go, he, we take the middle, he throws a kick, and I just dive at his legs, and he falls down. I'm like, Jesus, this guy, this guy's weak. <laughs> I mean, he really was like, you know, like, the thing is, like, you either have balance or you don't. You're either, you know, you can either wrestle or you can't. And I wasn't, by any stretch of the imagination, a good wrestler. I was just better than he was. So I took him down, and he didn't have a guard. He probably didn't know what a guard was. And I passed his guard, and I started punching him in the face a few times. And then I key-locked him. And I was like, I mean, obviously, it was one of the moments where you just feel like you're on top of the world because, I mean, you win in a fight. And then, you know, when you start putting all the circumstances in it, you're like, man, I can't believe I really just did this. And then I won this fight. So then now you're like, maybe I am built for this. Maybe I can do this, you know. But even at the time, it wasn't like as a career, but it was like, maybe I can actually fight. And that was when I realized that I could actually fight. You know, when I I fought a guy who was 70 pounds heavier than me, took him down and caught him in the easiest submission to catch somebody in, a key lock. So um, that was my very first fight. Now, back then, it was definitely not as mainstream as it is now. Did you see a career for yourself? No. Because, again, back then there was no career. That was – in fact, I remember – and here's the the best part about that. I got paid 30 bucks to do that. <laughs> like, why even pay you at all? <laughs> hey, it was like – he was like, here. It, it, was, it was one of them situations where it was like um, at the end of the night – like, I didn't even know I was going to get paid anyway. So, like, 30 bucks was like a bonus, I guess. And he's like, yeah, and then I, he's like, hey, got something for you, kid. And he, like, pulls out a wad of money, counts half of it. Puts it the rest in his pocket, counts another half of that, puts the rest in his pocket, counts a half of that, and I end up, and then he pulls out like a twenty and a ten and gives me that and goes, Here kid, go buy yourself something nice. And I'm like, Oh, great. So I got thirty bucks from that. I was like, that doesn't even pay for gas, but hey, listen, I was like, I, I just I just wanted to test myself. So like that's what the game was about back then. It wasn't about like having a career or even being able to fight again, like I like at that time, like you didn't know there were no shows and there was no like organization, so you didn't know if you was ever going to fight again. You was just doing it because the opportunity came, and yeah. you got a opp- chance to fight somebody without going to jail. So, how far would you say into it did you realize that you could have a career doing it? Um, the Ultimate Fighter. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty deep in because at that time, like I said, like it was like shows would pop up and 
it wasn't for a career because no one made enough money to really have a career. You made enough money to to go drinking yeah. for a couple of weekends. And and I had fought in like Japan. It was probably, even when I even when I fought in the UFC, I didn't think of it as a career. I was just thinking, man, I can't believe I'm about to fight on TV. And that's you know, well, there was no was, set track really that you know, like now no. I feel like there's a track to where you want to be, and there really wasn't that before. No, like back then there was no there was no track. It was just show up and fight. Show almost it was very similar to like what grappling tournaments are. Like no one thinks of themselves today as like a professional grappler. Like some some people might, but like you can go to a grappling tournament every weekend and do that. And but that's kind of what fighting was like back then. Like when a fight showed up, you got on the card, you fought you might have made some money and then you go to your job and that's it. You know, you, everybody worked. I worked as a bouncer at the house of blues and that was what I did. And I was trying to go back to school cause I thought I was going to be a school teacher. So like I was doing that. In fact, like that's how I got into like acting and all that stuff. I was going to school as I was fighting. I was in, I remember fighting Matt Sarah thinking, man, I got to get back. I got to go to class on Monday. So like that, like that, it was never really like, oh, this is going to be my career. So it wasn't until like way later did I realize that, man, I, this might actually be my career. So I guess kind of on that same topic, you've spoken about planning for after fighting. Did you picture yourself where you are right now? from fighting no no not in a million years like you know because the opportunities that i have now they didn't exist they weren't they were no one did it so you know the i think the general route for after fighting for fighters was i'm going to open a school and teach and that was what everybody tried to do and that was even what I did, even when my when I first retired, is that I had I had like three schools, and then I started coaching professionals and only coaching professionals. Now I'm doing a lot of broadcast work, and never thought that I would be doing and getting paid for being a clown. And and that's kind of really what I what I do now is I just kind of get paid to be a clown, which is good. And I think and I think the reason why they do that is because. When you think of fighters, like when the general public thinks of fighters, they think of these really tough guys that, you know, that, you know, that can't speak and are idiots. And, but then they have me and I, you know, I'm clown and it's very disarming. They pay me to disarm the public of their perception of the unruly knucklehead fighter. Yeah. I mean, that brings me to my next question. You're funny and. You've done a lot of improv and comedy. Have you always been a funny guy? Is this something that kind of fell into because it was a good fit for you? Well, I don't, I never really thought I was like a funny guy. I just, um, I was always creepy and I was very shy. So I think that everything I had was so bottled up inside me. I was very shy growing up. Like, I mean, extremely like small and shy and I never talked to people. And it was awful. And then when I started acting and doing improv, it sort of got me out of that. And then when I started fighting, I was kind of like, 
man, you mean to tell me I've been afraid of all these stupid moms for this long? I, I, I kicked the hell out of them. Excuse my French, but I was like, man, I, so then I wasn't shy no more. I'm still an introvert, but I'm not shy no more. But um, I think that just the comedy just comes from, I don't know, just being creative and, and not being afraid. You know, I'm not afraid to fail. That's one thing I'm not afraid to do. I'm not afraid to look stupid. And, and that comes with- definitely an exercise in that and improv and stand up, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid to look stupid. And that, that comes with practice and, and skill and looking stupid a lot. And mm-hmm. I've looked stupid a lot. Mm-hmm. So once you do it enough, you're just like, you know what? I'm not afraid to do it again. So bring on the next challenge. Now, do you find a lot of people, maybe newer fans only recognize you from looking for a fight or things that you're doing now versus your whole history of fighting? Yeah, I think, you know, the majority of people that know me probably don't even know that I fight, that I, that I fought. And I think, and to me, I find that to be the greatest compliment, actually, because that, that means that I didn't, that I'm not in my position now because I was a fighter. I'm in, I'm in the position I'm in now because I can do the job, and not because I was a fighter that just got gifted this position, but because I can actually do the job. But the fact that I did fight that just adds to my resume. So like everything that I've done, and that's just all a part of my resume. But if you take all that stuff away, I can still do the job now. I yeah. can still get on. I can still get on the broadcast and still do it. I'm not just a coach because at the end of the day, and even now, the same reason why I started this 25 years ago was so I don't get beat up in the street, and that's the reason why I'm still doing it today because I don't want to get beat up in the street. I don't want to be knocked out on a sidewalk while some guy's pissing on top. Well, you're really like the total package when it comes to this, because it's hard. Probably I would say hard for them to find people that have that experience and knowledge, but can also do the broadcast work. So you're doing a great job with it. It's a perfect fit for you. I think. Oh, yeah. I know that means a lot to you. (laughs) I mean, it really does. Like it means a lot because, you know, (laughs) Because and I and I'm and I'm a, a starving artist. Like at the end of the, at the end of yeah. the night, every night, I'm like, man, I suck. <laughs> no, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously been around for a while. You've seen a lot. You've seen the whole um, sport evolve. What would you say um, is the biggest difference between like the old school and the new school? The new wave of fighters coming through in oh, the athletes. Well, everybody's just so much better now, you know, like when, you know, the fighters in my time, I mean, we, we were okay. I mean, for for the time that was relative, like we were tough as hell. Like we were, we, like I said, we would fight anybody. Like those, the dudes from my generation would fight anybody. No questions asked. Nowadays it's like, well, who's my opponent? What's his record? Blah, 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 blah. Like back in the day, it was just, yo, let's go. So like that's the that's one big difference is it so because there's a career in this everybody is so conscious of making decisions business decisions for their career as opposed to just fighting back in the day we just wanted to fight and that was what it came down to um but I think there's still something to that like you should still 
want to fight as opposed to just do it for your career or else what the hell are you doing this for? Um, also, too, is that um, man, everybody now is just really good everywhere. You know, like if you was like, like back in my day, like if you was a blue belt, you were pretty good. Like nowadays, like a blue belt, you're, you know, it's like, what? No, man, you, you know, like, you, like that doesn't mean nothing now. Like you, like back then, like you, you had a blue belt, you was the baddest dude you know. Now it's like, it doesn't mean much. So, um, like just everybody is really good now. Like everybody's really good at wrestling. Everybody can punch and kick and like everybody's just really good now at, at all levels, amateur levels. I'm like, geez, these guys are good. Do you feel like there's kind of a trade-off though? Because the people like from your generation were a little more rough around the edges and maybe were fighting more just out of heart versus these young kids who have kind of now are starting to become groomed to do this from a young age, MMA as a whole. They're a little more polished. You think maybe it's seen more as like a sport in competition than a fight? Oh yeah, it's it's much more of a sport and competition. But I also think too is it the mentality of treating it as a sport makes them worse in a way, makes them worse in a way because they're just not prepared. And that again, everything is you know to complain about little things and cry about little things when. So, you know, when Jillian Robertson fought Priscilla Cachuera, she got poked in the eye. Mm-hmm. And in my mentality was, hey, that's going to happen. Deal with it and choke her out. You know what I'm saying? And I took heat from that. And everybody was like, oh, that's, she." Tra-. I'm not saying that it was okay for her to poke her in the eye. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it was good. It's still a foul. But at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to protect your own eyes. And that was the mentality that we had, you know, coming up in this game. It's your responsibility to protect yourself at all times. If somebody fouls, if somebody do that to you on the street, what you going to do? You going to cry and say, mm-hmm. that's right. So like, you have to be prepared for somebody to do anything to you. Like you should be prepared for that and have an answer for that. So, but nowadays everybody, you know, they're, they're crying and complaining and, this guy weighed three pounds more than me and so on and so forth. It's like, man, we never heard that back in the day. We was fighting anybody. Yeah. Well, especially during a fight too, you should be in that mindset of like survive when at all costs, not absolutely they're breaking the rules. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not, again, I'm not an advocate of cheating, but I'm saying if somebody's going to cheat, you got to have an answer for that. You're in the middle of the fight. What are you going to stop and complain? Mm-hmm. No, you got to have an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Now, what would you say is your biggest challenge as a coach? I think the biggest challenge as a coach is, um, especially for me, because I'm a very cerebral, artistic type individual. So, like, that's – and that is expressed through my coaching style. So, I think really with me, it's like, the buy-in and that sounds weird it sounds like you know i'm like a evil scientist and want people to believe the bullshit that i'm saying but that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that um a lot of the philosophies i have are different from what other people have so getting people to accept what i'm saying it can be tough but i don't try to force it on nobody i go hey listen 
you either believe what I'm saying or believe what you want to believe. Um, but this is what I'm saying. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. If you can believe what you want to believe and you can do it your way, then probably we're not a good fit. So like the people I work with, we have to be a good fit because, and I, and I'm willing to communicate. I'm very, very open-minded, but there's a lot of things that people do that I may not agree with that I just, man, I can't do certain things certain ways. I mean, that's, it's kind of a skill in, in a fighter too, is being able to follow direction and trust. Right. Like, like and, my, my husband, Corey, he can, he will just do what you tell him to do. Like, like a video game. I'm the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't always trust techniques or myself or whatever it is, but that is a huge part of being coachable, I think. Well, but that's the thing, too, is it as long as there's an understanding. And I can work with either style as long as we understand. Like, if somebody wants to do exactly the way they want, they want the way I say it, they need to do it exactly the way I say it. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you want the creative freedom to do it your way, I understand that, too. Mm-hmm. And I can coach a person like that, too. But then you also have to be responsible for when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you can't, so like, if you want to do it your way, you can't blame me if your way didn't work. Mm-hmm. So like, that's, that's the only thing I have. And a lot of people, a lot of fighters, especially don't like to hold themselves accountable, which is why you see a lot of fighters gym hop because yeah. they're like, Oh, this guy, he didn't, you know, he did this to me. He didn't teach me this. Da, 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 da. I got to go somewhere else and get it. And, and there's, I mean, again, I'm not saying that you should stay with somebody just for the sake of being loyal, but at the same time, every situation is a little different. And um, Jim Hopping is probably not the answer either. No. I mean, you can't – I think you can get far on talent alone, but there's going to – I think a point in everyone's career, even when they're really established, where they have to have that moment where they need people around them that will tell them what's up and – they get oh, yeah, that and sure. then they, they, they go to a different gym and those people aren't going to tell them because you're already established. They want to keep you there, you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to really go beyond that, you know, to be a champion if you can't handle that criticism and you have a bunch of yes men around. Well, and this is also too, this is also an information based game. You know, if, um, if you have the, if I gave you the information on how to guillotine somebody with, you know, 90% reliability, you're going to get a lot farther than not having that information. I don't care how strong you are, how fast you are, but having that information will get you far. And so having more information will get you farther. And, but the only way to get information is to get it from other people. And the only way to get it from other people is you have to be open-minded and seek other people and get information from other people. And, and that's why I don't necessarily even but like, you know, the fighters I train, I allow them to get information from whoever they want because I understand that they may need it. For instance, like your husband. Um, yeah. Your husband, I don't, um, I, I know he's, he's had a really last good couple years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was. It may have been he acquired some information that really just resonated with him, that allowed him to just really come into himself. But I think that was just 
a matter of gaining the information that he needed in order to get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And that'll get you far. But if he was like trying to be loyal to some guy and, and they were like, no, why are you learning from this person? Man, you might need that information. Mm-hmm. But again, but that's not Jim hopping and holding people accountable for your mistakes. That's just acquiring information. What he has here is coaches that um, aren't too proud for him to go get that information to other play, you know, to to work with other people that may be more specialized in something. He still keeps his same core coaches, but he's changed it up with his training, and he's also not been afraid to say. Um, changes that he feels he needs to make and um i mean sometimes you gotta speak up and say what you want if you, you can't yeah. just go with the flow if you don't feel like something's working for you and then leave your coaches because you never told them you know like right, I've seen right, people right. Do before communication so, communication yeah, is key yeah like any relationship yeah and i know i mean I, does he still work with mark henry mm-hmm and Mark Henry is a brilliant man. He's a fascinating man. He's a great yeah. coach. Um, he's very specific and detailed. I think he's a really good asset to have. Mm-hmm. So that probably helps him so much to have that type of specialized training with a guy like Mark Henry. Now, if he can get that in all areas of his training, mm-hmm. man, he's going to be he's going to be great. He's mm-hmm. going to be great. But and this is something that Rashad Evans once articulated to me, and he probably did it the better than anybody. Is it, you know, as a fighter, you only get one career. You know, your coaches have many different fighters, and as a fighter, you only get, you get one career, and you need to make the most of it. So, you know, by trying to be loyal and like in a sense loyal in the sense of like not getting information, you're doing yourself a disservice. That's why I would never do that to a fighter's career. I would never be like, don't learn from this person. Because that is the worst. That's oh, like you see that a lot too in martial arts. Yeah, you see it a lot. Oh, you're training with these people. You're training with those people. Like, are you kidding me? If you can get something from them and win a fight from it, you better go get it because you're only mm-hmm. going to get one chance at this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're lucky that Corey's not. Of course, coaches are like that. He's been less than that sense but we know people like that and you know people that struggle with being loyal versus doing what's best for them and there comes a point in your career where you know your careers could potentially be ruined because of it you know if you can't go not one person can do it all you know not one coach i don't think can specialize in everything so you have to go out and get it elsewhere it's too there's too much information out there for one person to know it all yeah and who wants to to be responsible for all that. <laughs> like it's a lot. It's an arms race, you know? Yeah. No one wants to, I, I don't want to do it. No one wants to do it. <laughs> now, do you say you have um, any moments that come to mind that you've had with fighters as a coach that stand out to you as being really special, really high moment, or even a low moment? Oh, well, I've <laughs> I know low moments. Many. yeah i mean the saying the highest of highs and the lowest of lows is true and it doesn't and it's almost worse as a coach than as a fighter as a fighter you can almost kind of accept it but like later in your career as a fighter you're just kind of like ah i lost again (laughs) 
and it's like not that big of a deal. That's when you know it's time to retire. But as a coach, you know, sometimes you you always think your fighter deserves to win as if the other guy doesn't or other girl doesn't. So, you know, every time you go out to a fight, you're like, you, you know how hard they worked if they worked really hard. You think they deserve to win, and then they don't win. I mean, it's really heartbreaking. And I've had that happen a lot of times where you're just heartbreaking and bummed because your fighter didn't do well. And you wanted them to, and they you thought they were going to. They thought they were going to. They felt good about it, and it, it didn't work out. And you're just like, damn. But on the flip side, sometimes that hard work pays off. And it might not happen, you know, the night you want it to. But if you stick with it long enough, eventually you get those high moments. And I think that one of the highest moments for me was when, uh, when Tyron Woodley you know, when he won the belt, you know, that was a pretty high moment for us. And, um, you know, and, I mean, his, his run the last couple of years was terrible, but we had that high moment. So to me, it made up for it. That, that, that high moment made up for the last couple of years. That's good to hear. You know, I talked with Mark Henry a while back about that and, he said the opposite, <laughs> but he was just coming off a bad loss with Frankie. And he was saying how like those, those low moments hurt so much more that it's like, sometimes he feels like it almost takes, it's not worth it. Like it takes away from the high moments, but it, I mean, it all depends it can, on what side of the coin you're on. <laughs> it, it can, but I think in Frankie's case, you know, in Frankie's case, you got to realize one thing you also have to realize, too, is that you get about five years of when you're doing your best work. You know, like, there's some time leading up to that five, then you hit that five, and then after that five, it's over. But no one tells you where that five is. So, but in, within that five, you know when that five is up before it's over. So, you're like, you know it's up. Um Frankie's five five is up. His five years is up. So what's happening now to him, he's got to just accept it and not take it too literal because Frankie had some moments. You know, Frankie had some great moments. And he had a great five, probably even longer than five. But well, now... than your average, Joe, you know? Yeah. But now it's up. You know, it's up. And he's got to just accept that. How did you know it was time for you to retire. Um, I feel like it seems was easier for you to come to that conclusion than some people. Oh, for sure. Well, because, and I, and I said this before, and I've always said this, that there's different type of fighters, you know, there's like fighters, fighters, and then there's competitors and there's athletes and there are um, artists. I, I don't know why that slipped my mind for my, my brain is going crazy. And there are artists and, when you're a fighter, a fighter's fighter, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, it's hard for those guys to retire because they wake up in the morning going, man, I want to punch something, somebody in the face today. You know, like if you look at them wrong in the street, they're probably going to swing on you. They're a fighter's fighter. It's hard for those guys to retire. For me, I always saw myself as an artist. So when it was time to retire, I didn't retire as an artist. I retired as a fighter. I took my art and expressed myself in a different way in which you guys are seeing now. Mm -hmm. So 
that's why it was easier for me to retire. Like, I don't ever wake up thinking, oh, I wish I could fight again. No, I don't care. I'm expressing myself. I'm, I'm still satisfying my desire to express my art. And before I used to do it inside of a cage. Now I do it through on a stage. So um, that's why it, was, it wasn't difficult to retire. One last question. Um, what is fighting to you? Vague question. Um, I mean, it's a very easy answer, actually. It's a very easy answer. Fighting is solving a puzzle. And the objective to solve the puzzle is to use whatever tools you have to to answer any of the questions that they're giving you as a problem within that fight. So, again, nowadays, you know, everybody at weight classes and all this, that, and the third, time limits and all that. I come from an era we had to find an answer. We had to solve the puzzle. And that's all, what it comes down to, that's all it really is, is solving a puzzle. If a guy is bigger than you, how are you going to deal with that? If he's faster than you, how are you going to deal with that? If he's a better striker, how are you going to deal with that? You have to find the answer, solving a puzzle. And that's really all it is. And when you think of it as much more than that, you make yourself nervous. And when you make yourself nervous, you don't perform as well. When you don't, then you can't compete. But the reality is if you just look at it for what it is and break it down for what it is, I have to figure out where this person is weak, take advantage of it, solve this puzzle. That's all it is. Well, Dean, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, you think of fighting the way I do, the way I always did too. So you are going to be... I'm- I know find more success as a coach and in broadcast and improv, whatever. And your Stephen A. Smith videos are the funniest thing I've ever seen. So do more. Thank you very much. (laughs) But I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. I appreciate you. Anything you ever need. I always got your back and uh, best of luck to you and Corey. You know, I, I wish happiness for you guys. And I'm glad to see you doing so well. Thanks again to Dean for taking the time to come on my show and share his stories. It's always great hearing the perspective of someone who has seen it all and been there from pretty much the beginning of the sport. So I really appreciate you, Dean, and I wish you the best of luck in all your endeavors. Everyone else, thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a new show. 